Welcome back, everyone. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week, we're doing It. Specifically, It Chapter 2 came out last week. We're doing it this week. Welcome, everyone. Spooky. This week, we're doing it from the comfort of a fort. So it's chill <laughs> It's chill vibes <laughs> late at night. We wanted to get in the mood. The first ever late night illiterate. Mm, settle in with us. Here we go. <laughs> Stephen King, prolific. My God. He is a madman. <laughs> the most adapted living writer of, of our current existence. Is that right? That, yeah. That's not surprising in he's the slightest. Had, he's had his work adapted into 46 movies and 24 TV shows. The next God. closest author is Nicholas Sparks with 11. Wow. So. <laughs> Get it together, Nicholas Sparks. Pick up yeah. the pace. Come on. Uh, and Close the gap. Yeah, wow. That is a margin. Specifically, we're talking about it today, which is all the rage we will spoil. We're not going to be, like, focusing on the spoilers, but if you haven't seen it, if you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, check it out maybe before. Yeah, because we're going to talk about some differences between the two. Yeah. Um, Along with some other things. So just to get us started, the enormity of this book and the movie that just came out. My God. uh, The book was published in 86. It was the first of four books he published between 86 and 87. So he just went on a streak. Wow. Um, Went on a tear. What it's known for is... What it's known for is its size, so you can't tear it. Uh, It went on a tear, but you can't tear it apart. It is... uh, The hardcover weighs four pounds. Godly. Um, It's, in some copies, over 1,200 pages. Oh, God. Just so everybody knows, I skimmed it. I didn't dive deep into reading it, and I listened to some of the audio book as well. Because we got some tasty nibs on the other side here, which we know is what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, we got we got some good stuff, but the, I was surprised the hardcover sold, accounting for inflation, at forty four dollars in today's money. Whoa! Because it was so big and such a deal, but it was the tenth best selling novel of the nineteen eighties. Wow! Of that decade, which is crazy to think that such a a monster of a thing and such weird material, yeah, would be the tenth best selling book of the whole decade. My God! Um, and then. By association, the film that came out in 2017 cost $35 million to make and made over $700 million worldwide. It is the highest grossing horror film of all time, God. the first one. And in a little bit of interesting nerd stuff, there's 27 years in between. So the, the story, for those that don't know if you've been under a rock or in a sewer, <laughs> is about a clown. A killer clown. A killer clown. Who terrorizes a little town called Derry. And it represents all the fears and horrors of the citizens. Within us. Within us. (laughs) And specifically splits in in two times between (laughs) 1958 and 1985. And there's a 27-year span where it is not terrorizing them. There was a 27-year span between the 1990 miniseries first adaptation and the 2017 movie Mm -hmm. series that came out. Oh, Mm. So that's just a coincidence. That's but I interesting. Was interesting that, oh God! That there's ew, yeah. Ew, <laughs> Twenty ew. in real life, there's oh, a twenty-seven year difference. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, but it's a it's a I crazy. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it's a crazy huge property. What do you, what do you want to talk about? I think right off the bat, it's kind of the go-to for scary clown. Mm-hmm. So how is it that nineteen eighty-six? 
That's a, that's a bit late. So so how does this come about? Uh, I'm really interested in yeah perhaps why he's chosen clowns. Maybe why kids or yeah yeah yeah. yeah. How did because he he's talking about so much stuff here. How did he narrow it down to what devices he was going to use? Yeah. So the reason he chose clowns as this in relation to kids is because he said clowns are the scariest thing to children. Uh, he said, my preoccupation with monsters and horror has puzzled me too. People always ask him, like, why are you obsessed with this? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, no, it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> why are we scared of it? Yeah. So he's, he's is fascinated. It me? Is it I'm scared of what's in me mm-hmm. or in you? Maybe both. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to figure it out just like us. Even. And I don't know if anybody has watched interviews with him, but he's a goofy dude. He's not this, you know, I guess, I don't know, what's a spooky kind of author or somebody that carries on the visage of their work. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, he's not a tortured, troubled genius. He's kind of a goofball. But he was saying that since he was being now known as the horror writer of the decade, you know, all these different books he's coming out with. He was trying to make a thing where he could put in every monster he could think of. And since he grew up in the 50s, he was fascinated with those classic mummy, vampire, Frankenstein. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Werewolf, all that stuff. And in the book, Pennywise the Clown is the main figure that this entity Mm -hmm. of doom comes up as. But in the book and in the, you know, movies, he comes in as all different types of fear, whatever the person is most feared of. But that's where his inspiration came from. But you need something that it needs to be in default. And so that's why right. he picked the clown. Which is good because, I mean, all like he says, all children are, it's a common denominator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that made me interested in clowns in general and where, you know, because it's like, oh, the, sc- the, the scariest thing that a kid could ever imagine is a clown. And I was like, why is that the case? Mm. You know, how did this come about? Yeah, just the history and clowns in in general, like they're kind. Of, it's like ridiculous almost, <laughs> right? <laughs> also, also, I I've I've never understood the big difference between like when I mean, the, obviously there are big differences, but like clowns and mimes are like I relate them so closely, and yeah. I don't know. So that's just a personal thing, and, and <laughs> covered in <laughs> covered in not knowing what who they actually right. are. And it is interesting also because Joker is coming out soon, which we will do an episode ah, yes. on here. That's another one about a clown who is tortured inside right. or has right. some evil within them. It has to wear a different face to be who they really are. Yeah. So we're, for some reason at this point in culture, we're fascinated yeah. with that. But it, the history of clowns from what I saw started with the, the clowns that we know of as the, the white face, the, the, the red cheeks, the red nose, all that stuff didn't come about until the early 1800s in England because there was jesters and there was, right, you know, right, jokers right, right. in the court, whatever, but they just had red blush or they this were- great because I've always kind of wondered, because I've always just assumed, I mean, it just come from jesters and that and that's yeah. still, like, I've seen the rim and I've put the pieces together, but I've never actually like looked into mm-hmm. this and what is the connective yeah. tissue? How does it get from one to, <laughs> so please yeah, wash so, over me. So there was a guy <laughs> named Joseph Grimaldi who came about in the early 1800s, and he was the first guy to do the white face paint, the red cheeks, the red nose. He had a blue mohawk. Grimaldi? Grimaldi Mm. is his name. And he was very, very famous, found out 
that he had a very troubled life and a troubled history. His wife died at mm. childbirth. His son oh, later God. died of alcoholism. Yeah. He battled depression. No. You know, all these kind of things that then came out later. So this, he was the, the clown of the time, yeah. but secretly has all of this garbage going on in his yeah. life that he's dealing with. So the reason people know about this is because he had a memoir that was written as an autobiography and then adapted by some other people. That memoir was bought by a magazine company in England around that time. But they didn't really know what to do with it because they were going to do it in installments, but they wanted to make a book because they're a magazine company. So they gave it to this young writer slash editor, 25 years old, fresh, hasn't really written much, written for other publications, who dramatized it up. This person was Charles Dickens. Oh, my so God. So he wrote the, the memoir of this. So he's the first originator of the kind of scary clown persona, or oh, at least the wow. troubled soul clown that we know. No way. Interestingly, at this time, he is writing the first drafts of his book, Oliver Twist, which is the first Victorian novel with a child protagonist. Mm. So he's also the first person to mm. write from the perspective of kids. Very interesting. So Look he's got clowns and he's got kids Look at the beginning at of his career, which Stephen King is obsessed with both of those. Yeah, absolutely. In this book and then kids thereafter. As far as clowns going onward, there was a clown in Paris named Du... I, mean, I don't know, but it's... Uh, Debourau no, De or <laughs> so whatever French... However you pronounce that in French. But it was in 1836, and this is in real life. He had the white face paint and everything, but he killed a boy in the street God. with a walking stick. Oh, my God. That was insulting him. And so that really put clowns on the, on the map as being like, oh, they're not just for entertainment. Like, this guy is attacking That's people terrifying. in the street. Yeah. And this is right around the time that this memoir came out. So that kind of gave it Look, a bad a name. clown actually murdered a young boy <laughs> in the streets of what, what, France. Yeah, yeah. 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 We can uh, see. Horrific. Yeah, yeah. But this is like them shifting. It's like, I didn't realize like, oh, they actually weren't ever just for kids and happy-go-lucky. Like there was always this somber tone of like, mm -hmm. who is it behind the paint? What mm -hmm. are they actually about? So in That's 18, not yeah. just like a postmodern twist. Like mm -hmm. that's not, that's not even like a- That's like from the start of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes them so fascinating. In 1892, there was a famous opera about Pagliacci- Yes, that, that's what face. I've been thinking about this yeah. whole time. Who so murders his wife and, and, and love no stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the clown. So the more recent in 53, there was the best picture winner, The Greatest Show on Earth by Cecil B. DeMille. Mm. That had a clown who was doing suspect stuff and was a tortured soul. It was about the Ringling Brothers Circus and had all the, it was crazy. Okay. And then at this time also, this is where the, the mixture comes in and this is where we start getting the kids stuff and where it gets confusing is because in the 60s, there was Bozo the Clown, which was a famous TV mm -hmm, character. Mm -hmm. And there was a 10-year wait to get tickets to this dude's show. Really? Like, oh, it was so way. serious. And then also around this time, this is when Ronald McDonald is coming out, which is also catered solely to kids. Oh, So I now did. you have this. It really? Oh, yeah. wow. I, I thought Ronald McDonald was, like, I would have guessed later 70s. Mm -mm. Wow. Yeah, so this is where now you have what I consider kind of a dissonance of like, you have these very popular clowns, which are just for kids, but the history of clowns has always been tortured man behind the mask. Not really sure about what it is. So you look at these other clowns like Ronald McDonald and Bozo the Clown and Why people are thinking- Why do we invite thinking, these people to our children's birthday yeah, party? Yeah, yeah. How did that become a thing? With these characters. Golly. So the final nail in the coffin here is between 1972 and 1978, there was a man who sexually assaulted and murdered more than 33 young men under the guise of Pogo the Clown, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. And so then everybody was like, oh, there's a killer clown going to children's parties and murdering people. 
and then Stephen King's book comes out in 86. There it is, uh, yeah. And we're all caught up. So that's how clowns fit in. Although with it, it's like an alien being that came down to Earth in a meteor. Did you find anything as to how the, he settled on that? Like how that, like... He has to figure out what this thing is and actually wrap this thing up <laughs> by the end right. of it. Like, any is there any insight as to like why he went the route he did on on what it is? Yeah, I think he, from my understanding, wanted to have something that was an entity that appears in a cycle, and so it wasn't like oh, it's this person that's a serial killer. It's a, it's a force. And then what you find is, and whether or not you're into this is up to you, but all of his books are in a shared universe, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe or these other stories that intersect. So, like, his books carry He's been doing the stand, it, these things. Yeah, it all comes together. And there's his series, the Dark Tower series, which is kind of like explaining oh, the right. lore and the history behind all these things. So there's this... And this is contentious in the book because people are like, this is way out of left field. But the the children interact with this turtle, which is the one of the creators of the universe or whatever, named Maritan. Right. Or Maturin, who is one of the keepers of the beams in the Dark Tower series holding things together or whatever. And then that's the one that says like, oh, yeah, it is one of these celestial beings and they're at odds. And it's kind of this whole big bigger picture that overtakes Mm -hmm. all of his other novels. And you'll even see little seeds of things. So there's a kid who dies, Eddie Cochran, in It. Mm -hmm. And it says in the book that his dad was sent to Shawshank Prison, which, of course, Stephen King wrote The Shawshank Redemption. Beautiful uh, movie. You know, and these other stories, Carrie and Pet Cemetery, happen in these towns in Maine. And there are other characters that reappear. So all of that fits in, but I think he he had a bigger vision for like how all of his books fit into this big world and it was just a facet of that. Yeah. In the more esoteric, you know, sci-fi kind of fantastical mm-hmm. books that he's come out with. But they didn't have any of that in the new newer movies. Any of any any of, of the like he he's an entity from the dawn of time. Well, they don't really like explain yeah. that. The way they, though they do go into the ritual in which mm-hmm. they have to get uh, oust it, yeah, um, and so th- they don't really like explain it, but they explain it from um, like an indigenous people's point of view, you know, almost like this that, thing has been around a while, exactly, yeah. and so that. Um, so Mike is the one that stayed in Derry and is kind of retracing the steps of. Uh, the other people who have tried to take on this entity over over time. So he's been mm-hmm. trying to put together the pieces why the thing lays in wait so that when it comes back, he can assemble the team basically and they can perform this and, and, and pull it off. Yeah, he's he, that happens in the book as well. It's interesting because yeah. they have interludes where he kind of goes into and you read it from his perspective of his journal – about things and this is how you get more backstory about it and in in historical times and in what happened you know 200 years ago because he's a librarian he's looking at all these different things to see and then he realizes oh no it's happening again right he holds the key to figuring out he was the only person who stayed like you said we can get into since we're talking about this some of the differences between the book and the films you can look up if you're listening to this which you obviously are um (laughs) hello hello again (laughs) again. (laughs) 
how, you know, YouTube videos about how it's different or whatever, but I just wanted to talk about things as it relates to kind of literary sensibilities or maybe some things that people are not talking about. We mentioned the shared universe already Mm -hmm. and how they don't Mm -hmm. quite lean into that, but the structure and how they even did it chapter one and it chapter two, and it covers the kids and then it covers the adults. Mm -hmm. So the way that the book is set up jumps around all over the place, but the adult section only takes the day. It's only them getting the call saying it's happened again. They fly over, they talk about it, they deal with it. That takes about 24 hours for them to deal with. So majority of the book is the kids and the situations that happened there. And the book is set in 1958 and 1985, and then the movies shifted up for a modern audience and are set in 1989 and 2016. So some of the stuff, a big thing that happens in the story is the start of the second movie, I believe, I guess like a homophobic attack. Yeah, there's a hate crime that's carried out on a a gay couple leaving a uh, carnival. Mm -hmm. Um, They're both beat and one is thrown off of a bridge. The start again of this evil resurging exactly. in Derry after 27 years. Exactly. They make that pretty, they do, they, and they do well with like visually uh, giving that metaphor in the film, I have to say. That is also, the, I think, the first instance of Pennywise in the film. Mm-hmm. And that's the first big scene in the book as well that seems completely unconnected because you're hearing about these adults' lives and then you cut to this thing that's happening in this town in Maine. It's very shocking to to read in the book so early on, but you don't really get back to Pennywise until 400 pages later because it's kind of assembling the team and what's happened in the past and things like that. Right. But of course, the first thing that happens with the kids is in chapter one where he gets down in the sewer drain and gets his arm ripped off and as a kid, you know, that kind of thing. But the interesting thing as far as what they did with the movie, which you can speak to, is they changed it up where two of the kids in the Losers Club have a thing for each other. Stephen King did not put in the book those overtones of the of the kids in the group themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it was definitely my favorite aspect of the film. Uh, they add with the Richie character, the Finn um, Wolfhard character, the Bill Hader character. Mm-hmm. They add a flashback scene as he's coming back to Derry. Uh, they're all they all have to go get a tome, a token of some of of that time and that era and that place. They all have to go do this on their own. So mm-hmm. everybody gets their own thing, and they go off and have their own experience remembering these things. So the Richie character goes to the movie theater to collect a token, and while he's collecting this token, we see a scene of him uh, playing an arcade game with a boy that we, we've never seen before. And the, Richie gives him a couple, a couple glances that are just a, barely extended, and the game ends. And right at that moment, the bully, he enters with his whole posse, and it becomes apparent right there that the unknown boy here playing with Richie is the bully's cousin or some uh, relative. So right in one moment... Uh, just with a couple glances uh, from the Richie character, you you get this idea that maybe, maybe there's more happening here. And that is when the bully enters and there, he's presented with, hey, well, we can play some more. Richie presents a, a coin. We can play some more. I have, I have some more. And the bully enters and sees, sees there's a moment there of just what to do, uh, to do positive. It's good. And he has to crush it. Immediately comes in with homophobic slurs. 
yeah telling his his cousin to get over here what the hell are you doing with the you know and they and i think the cousin immediately kind of just doubles down on that and just calls starts i don't know he wanted to blah 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 with me and and they and they start berating richie and throw him out into the street outside of the theater richie runs across the street over to the park and uh the bill hater older version of him is kind of reliving the experience. So when Bill Hader's uh, older version gets to the park, he sees Pennywise there. And through the conversation, without ever really saying what's going on, you really get the idea that, well, Pennywise knows that you might like boys. Yeah. And nobody knows that about you at all. Nobody. You're in your late 30s. It all seeps in right, right there. And, and that moment actually was the scariest moment for me in the film. That mm-hmm. was where the fear became very real mm-hmm. for me. Um, the idea that this thing knows every deep, dark recess of your mind and knows every secret, secret you've never spoken out loud to anybody. And it's totally willing to use that and manipulate it and use it through people you care about. It really emphasized the paranoia to me, the things that we're worried about, what's going on in other people's heads. Every time a moment like this would happen, the worst case scenario uh, for these characters, Mm -hmm. that's what it felt like. It was the worst case scenario of like what we imagine would happen if the truth was was out of our mouth. And the big thing that Stephen King is playing with here is this bridge between childhood and adulthood and trauma and what you carry with you and what you remember later, what you choose to forget, all of those different themes, whether you reconcile with something that happened, whether you completely block it out of your mind. Stephen King had an interesting take on this as far as his interest with writing about kids and writing about childhood and I'll post a link to a beautiful video that happens with him where it's his voice but they animated it and he's talking about there's a misconception that he feels like with kids Mm. where we block memories that are terrible Mm. and his idea is that we think in a different way as children we think around corners and not in straight lines and as kids to us as adults that looks like we're living in a dream state not in a sort of mental state Mm. and so when we look at things as kids, sometimes they're perceived as these monsters or as these crazy big things, and we forget that's how we thought. Right. And so when we're looking back in the memories, they look like something entirely different than what they were, or right. we choose to forget to think in that way anymore. And so that's a, a thing that changes as well from the book to the movie, the ending, where you're saying all of these characters that have their different fears and defeat it the entity of evil in the town and all of these Mm -hmm. other prejudices and things that people have, they choose not to forget it. And there are little vignettes. Yeah, they go out of their way to say, we remember. I'm not Mm -hmm. forgetting. I remember everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we tried to forget it and we said if it came back, we'd stop it. In the book, they start to forget immediately what's happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Although That's That's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin because the loss of memory for a lot of people is a positive thing, confirming that, hey, it's definitely dead this time. Rather than have the trauma hang over you, you know, it adds to the melancholy, though. But 
like we said, it's well it's, going back to the other conversation in that in that through that, who's the child? If we're saying, yeah, I, I just think I, I, it's it's interesting that yeah, it's, I kind it's of see it as so him, easy as him know? saying life is kind of a wheel. You 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 a child and a grown up are two different things. Childhood is perpetually redefined in your adulthood based on what you do know, based on what you choose to forget. So it's right. like as an adult you can feel like a kid, as a kid you can feel like an adult. The the memories and the things that you take as you're experiencing them with that mindset is different from as you remember them before. Um, but it's it's just interesting how in the book he chose to say immediately we're forgetting. Could this happen again? Could this come up somewhere else? Right. This this town is not going to be the same. In the book, there's a giant rainstorm that destroys everything, destroys the glass tunnel in the oh. library, delineating between childhood and adulthood. I, see. In the, I read an interview with the director of the movie where he said they didn't want this crazy, epic destruction ending, you know, where the whole town gets kind of... Right broken down and crumbling so it'll never be the same again because yeah, that's kind of a cliche. I think the film third act goes big enough. It's yeah. Probably a yeah. good call. <laughs> yeah, and he was saying like that that was good for the book, but we don't necessarily right. need that for the movie. Right. But another thing that happens in the book that doesn't happen in the movie that I think it gets a lot a lot of questioning because it happens at the very very end here because like I said that they line mm. up structurally with like the kids defeating it and the and the adults defeating it at the same time. Mm-hmm. But with the kids they defeat it for this first time, but they can't figure out how to get out of the sewers. And the Bev character, remember, they're all—they're only like 11 or 12. She proposes, and this is going to sound totally out of left field when you just describe it, that they have sex with her. They do. All the, all the boys do. Not knowing, They don't know anything. She doesn't know anything. It's very, very awkward, very, very adolescent. She seems to gain some sort of power understanding from this experience. They find their way out, then pledge an oath that if this ever happens again, they'll all come back. But it's not written as like a sexual or pornographic right. experience. All I've ever heard of it is that it's not its not what it sounds like. And there's almost no other way to describe it, but it's not what it sounds like. Right. And some people theorize that like it is more sex positive or feminist because it was like what was her weakness? She was abused by her dad. She had like she she was constantly... This was her prejudice and her fear and her thing that weighed down on her mind. Mm. And she's the only girl or woman in this story. And the delineation between childhood and adulthood, the the thing that separates most people is sex, is sexuality. Mm -hmm. Even the title of the book is the thing that we call when we don't know what it is. We're going to do it. Have you done (laughs) it yet? Yeah. It is the separation between childhood and adulthood. So it only makes sense that that would be mm-hmm. the final thing that they would need to do in order to say, oh, we've moved on. Oh, we're not kids anymore. Right. Although at the end of that chapter, they say, now we can go back up to town and be kids again. In the back of your mind, you know, wait, you all just had sex. Like you can never be kids again. Right. So I just, whatever contention people have with that, when I read it and I looked up more about it, I didn't see it as such an atrocious thing. Although Stephen King understands and he is quoted as saying in the new movies, he's like, I get it. We have changed culturally. I understand if it's too much now to put into an adaptation. Right. So he's not a dumb dude. He gets it. Yeah. And maybe he would have done it differently. We were talking about childhoods and adulthoods and... In this inter- this other interview I read from the Paris Review, they asked him, why do you write a lot about children? 
And he was like, I was fortunate to sell my writing fairly young, married young, had children young. His kids were born in 71, 72, and 77, mm. six-year spread in the 70s mm-hmm. before he started writing it. And so he was saying, like, that's what I invested my time in when all of my contemporaries were out dancing and cavorting and being right. crazy. He was like, I feel like I got a better part of that deal than enjoying the culture of the 70s. I was like in deep with right. what it was like to be a kid. He's like, I don't know 70s music, but I know my kids inside and out. I was in touch with the anger and the exhaustion and the pain of being a father. And like, look at The Shining and like, look at these books that he's put together about being a dad and being kids and what that all feels like. Yeah. And and this is a part of his life. He got very, very injured in 1999. And so that's when this interview was what, but he said, what has found my way into a lot of books now is pain and injuries and illness, because that's what I'm dealing with now. Hmm. Like with any good author, he's like, if I live 10 years longer, it'll probably be something else. Yeah. But that was the point in his life where he was really having to grapple and wrestle with these things and think about these things and seeing three of your kids grow up, you start to wonder about that and what are the things you're doing. So that's why he's fascinated with kids Hmm. and fears. And as far as, you know, for our listeners, they... Richie, just we're doubling back a little bit on the those two characters and, and Pennywise knowing something about yeah. them in their past. He does etch at the very end their initials into the tree, implying that he made peace with the fact that they were a thing. Is that correct? I believe so. I was a little bit... I didn't... I, 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 it, I wasn't totally sold that they were a thing, but... Mm-hmm. I, maybe they were both gay and knew i don't you know i yeah, it, yeah. It, it, i knew what they was talking about but it was it didn't really seem to put the thumb on it of being like they were in love you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah, it, yeah. it was not that clear so i i and maybe i'm maybe i was just reading it wrong i don't know <laughs> i don't i didn't realize anybody liked me until i was 21 <laughs> um, but, um, but so I could be wrong, but that uh, but I liked it being a little a little. Mm-hmm. I, I knew what it was commenting on without it without it having to outright tell me. Yeah, um, but I was re- I've seen some strange backlash about about the homophobia. Mm-hmm. And well, this film. is what I was saying, where it's like the the timeline thing is a little bit different. Like maybe it's a little bit more accepted. In the book, when it happens in 85, as opposed to happening in 2016, mm-hmm. and it feels a little bit more time sensitive. Yeah. I mean, what are you saying? So, um, Also, well, I just wanted to bring it up because I, I think that's a structural difference from the movie to the book is the book takes place further in the past. Right, right. And so you could believe with the AIDS epidemic and and propaganda that was going that around about homosexuality yeah, yeah, yeah. that in 1986 it would be like oh yeah that would happen in a small rural town right. in Maine right and in in the opening scene of of the new one it is happening in present day or right. 2016 right. so you're been like yeah we are throwing people off of bridges in 2016 but maybe we are i you know like i yeah. I, I, I i there's there's two sides of that cuz i think in one ways the culture has changed a lot and in some not at all yeah. so i don't know i don't and really know where that lies story so. is the cyclical nature of right, evil exactly do we forget do we not and it, is it good to forget is it not good to forget mm-hmm. <laughs> um and do we and, repeat ourselves don't we repeat ourselves do we shift it up do we change from when we were kids to when we're adults and how do we carry the same wounds yeah 
I will say, as far as in relation to that, like Stephen King said, he appreciated the ending with the two characters in the Losers Club having a thing for each other. And he thought that was a good bookend between... Oh, yeah. He directly commented on it. Yeah. And said, I dig this because I didn't allude to that at all in the book. That wasn't really a thing. But I like how it starts with this person being persecuted for that. And then at the end, this person reconciling with this is who they are. Yeah. Getting getting over the the internalized homophobia. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, again, I just thought it was a a brilliant addition to to this material. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen King of the of the guy being thrown off the bridge that was actually inspired by a real thing that happened in Bangor, Maine, in the town that he lived in in 1984. Mm-hmm. He was in the of it. There was a guy, Charlie Howard, and I'll post a link to the article from that newspaper of that scenario happening in real life. And as Stephen Gosh. King's writing this book, he's like, "This has to be the start because this is the start of right. unprecedented evil and chaos in yeah. this town." Another thing that I thought was interesting, in the book and the movie, one of the characters is a horror writer who is stopping this evil from this town. And you'd think that most people would be embarrassed to write a character, which is definitely themselves as a noble hero in no, his man, hometown. He does it like every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like eight out of ten books from Stephen King is about a, a horror frustrated writer. writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and his small child and his wife in a new place. Yeah. <laughs> and his but he's, but he's, lamp. The thing is, he's unashamed about it. You know, I love it. I mean, and like, yeah, he's like, keep this doing is who I am. It, I mean, it obviously resonates. Mm-hmm. It's like we we wouldn't be the most adapted author yeah. of all time. To if hell it didn't with the resonate. critics. To hell with being dignified. To hell with what you know. Do the book's you. too big. Obviously, people love it. Obviously, you're speaking authentically and going after a truth. Oh, so in the movie, he very he didn't want to be Alfred Hitchcock and didn't want to be Stan Lee, so he very rarely appears, but he does appear in it chapter yes, two. Yes, he does. As the angry shopkeeper. <laughs> and he even makes a jab at the character who is obviously an allusion to him about <laughs> not knowing how to end books. Yeah. And it didn't make it into There's a running gag in the film that that uh-huh. uh, that the the main character the James McAvoy character had uh they had written a book that it got adapted to a movie and nobody liked the ending. Mm-hmm. So like it even so it's get it gets brought up a few times and then even the shopkeep brings it up, <laughs> which is him. which is him exactly. Yeah. It's just commenting on him. Yeah, so. uh, and the reason Stephen King decided to do this because he's notorious for never leaving Maine. They shot this in Canada, so it wasn't very far away for him to go. Mm. And then the the thing that the director had pitched to him, which didn't make it into it, chapter one. Or chapter two is there'd be a flashback to the kids going into that shop uh, and there would be a young shop owner as well, which would be played by Stephen King's son hmm. who looks a lot like him. Oh, wow. So they wouldn't have to do any of this facial change and age been stuff. Cool. But it would just been Stephen King's son playing the younger version of Stephen King. And what's interesting about that is that Stephen King's son's name is Joe Hill and he in his own right is a successful horror yes, he author. Is. And they have even collaborated on certain works, and he has things that are now being he'll, adapted. He'll and have a Netflix, into Netflix series now. out. Yeah, we he's... might do that as an episode as well. But yeah, it's just it's it was that would have been an interesting thing to see. But how even in Definitely, real life, it's yes. like his younger self, his older self, uh, what his progeny is doing is similar to what he's doing. That would have been great. I'm I'm a little sad they didn't do that. Yeah, 
but yeah, the whole thing is a is a big swirling vortex of childhood, adulthood, trauma, fears. I I I really I really connected with it. Um, um, I've been just into personal relationships and 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 all that kind of stuff recently, and mm-hmm. and it was speaking right to paranoia and what what is the stuff that we run our minds around. What is the stuff that's just in our head? What what is the stuff that that we we are so worried that other people are thinking about us, the situation, all of it? What what are the things that keep us from each other? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really ultimately what it is commenting on is like that is the evil. The evil is whatever it is that keeps humans away from other humans. That mm-hmm. that that's what ousts the good. That's what shuts out the light. Um, so it, whatever grows human connection, that's the good thing. I, I, I've just been ruminating on that. Though. Mm. Since seeing the film, it, it does a, a really good job of, of emphasizing that human connection is, is, is the thing to rely on and that the things that get in the way of that are not good for you. Ultimately, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to come back together. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. This has been, I love this one, and candlelight and everything. Hope you guys have had a wonderful time with us. Real quick, if you guys are watching anything cool, let us know. Let us, what are you, what are you into these days? What are you, what are you, what are you, uh, what are you watching on Netflix or Hulu or anything got, got your eye? Anything that, uh, anything yeah. interesting? Message us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. We'll look into it, see if there's something we can talk about, see if it's based on something. Mm-hmm. You never know, you might be surprised. We'll give you all the details. And we'll shout you out. Check out the links. Check out all the goodness in the show notes. Mm. We thank you so much. See you next week.